Welcome to the Leadership Exposé podcast. This podcast is for purpose-driven leaders at diverse levels and organizations around the world who are seeking to scale and transform their leadership to level up their business and to create an impact in the lives of people all around them. Business and boardroom topics, trends, innovation, transformation, and the intersection with leadership is the focus. We enable success. I'm your host, Stephen Paul. In this episode, we welcome Alexis Monby. Alexis is the chief of staff at a large global technology company. He has worked in multicultural and distributed environments for years, has held several leadership roles. Alex is an author and a corporate leader, and we'll learn about Alex, his views on self-organization and building of leadership teams, agility amongst other things, and his journey as well. Alexis, w- welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being with us. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm good. Um, since I'm talking with you, I'm really good. Even so, uh, and thank you for the nice word in the in the introduction. Wonderful, wonderful, Alexis. Uh, you know, just before the we started the podcast, we uh, we exchanged where we're located. Um, yeah, but for the uh, for the benefit of the audience, tell us where where you're based in France. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm based near Bordeaux in the southwest of France. So Bordeaux, I guess uh, a few people uh, will recognize the wine, of course. Uh, there's not only wine, but I have to admit there's a I'm in the middle of a winery, so there's a lot of wine around me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, some of us might. Uh might be very envious about this, but uh, but I'll keep that to a separate conversation, <laughs> wine and, uh, and 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 so forth. But uh, but no, this is this is great, great that you're in a, in a in a you know in a in a, in a great location as well. Uh, Alexis, tell us a little bit about your uh, your personal journey, your you know your, and the intersect with your you know your professional journey as well. Yeah. Oh, so I'm I. I studied uh, to be a mechanical engineer. Uh, and during my study, I was passionate about computers and I was working as a, as a developer for Macintosh. So that was a, a bit different from my original studies. And it was a long time ago. So we were not using computers as much at that time. Um, I wanted to work in the automotive industry, which uh, I did uh, after that, thanks to my uh, interest in computing in reality, because we were putting in place a, a big trustability system um, to track the process and the component of uh, new uh, anti-lock brake systems. Uh, ABS is obvious for everybody now. Nobody is telling us, oh, that car has the ABS and that car has not, because all cars have ABS now. But at that time, we were working on the first car that had until our break system. So you can you can see it was a really long time ago. So it was a really interesting to work in the industry. Uh, I thought I would stay there forever. And uh, and my old friends from my uh, study time to uh, called me and say, there's something in- incredible happening. Um, it's the web. Uh, it will change the world. And, and I had hard times to believe them. But once uh, we had the first conversation, I was absolutely convinced that it will change the world. But 
To give you an idea, in 1995, not a lot of people had access to the internet, mm. the network, and not a lot of people knew what was the web mm. because it was invented in 1990. So um, the, the transformation potential of all that was really far away for people. Um, so that's where uh, we co-founded the company uh, on the web. And uh, I learned a lot in that because we were three in 1995 and 850 in 10 countries in 2000 when I left to go to, to do something else. Working with a lot of startups and then working for the government or on the government, uh, which was a totally different story, but was really fun using the web to transform the administration, to transform the service we give to, to the public. Then creating another company, a consulting company this time, to connect the dots between all the things I've learned around Lean, C-Sigma in the industry, mm -hmm. uh, agile in software and transformation work and combine all that to serve large enterprises and startups. Uh, one of those startups uh, worked with them, was acquired by Red Hat, and Red Hat, uh, I stayed with Red Hat until those days in different uh, capacities. Uh, mainly to work on organizing teams and uh, building leadership teams. So that was the long version. You asked for the long version? I did, I did. And and I'm, I'm, I'm coming to some great points that you were just describing. I was listening with interest through that journey and you've pivoted, you know, through, you know, some of these breakthrough technology you were mentioning about ABS engineering to startups, to building startups, to, you know, you know, moving into corp, you know, wider, larger corporate or types of organizations into building organizations, but also from a leadership team perspective as well. So what, 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 what is your, and, and you've, and you've lived globally as well. Yeah, that's all. That's all. That was the, the, the thing I was not yeah. aware that it will change a lot of things in my life, but, uh, uh, I, I was a, a very uh, bad language student. I'm still, uh, I'm still difficult for me to learn the language, even if I'm trying hard. Yeah. Uh, and I, I never thought I would work away from my my country. Yeah. And, I, and I joined a global company. The first company I joined was a global company, and a lot of things were in English, and it was a struggle. Yeah. Uh, and then with a startup, I realized that we were in several countries and I needed to really uh, improve my English. And it was a struggle. Yeah. At some point, it kept slightly better, but it was still difficult. Uh, of course, I moved to Boston a few years back uh, and I lived there for a few years. So at that moment, you would definitely improve. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's amazing to see how hard it was to learn a language. Uh, yeah. 20 or 30 years back for people in France. And when I look at the young people nowadays, their English is really, really way better. Uh, <laughs> we, we probably need to thank the uh, internet and all the TV shows that they are uh, looking without subtitles or with subtitles in English so they can really learn the language and not listen to dubbed voice that are. So yeah, that's, that's, that part was really interesting because yeah. Uh, you learn more working with, in a multicultural environment yeah. and working with teams and people that are coming from all over the world. You, are, you realize all the benefits from that, uh, that diversity. Yeah. Uh, and uh, 
of course, it's only one aspect of diversity. There's a lot of several other aspects, but it's uh, it's already enriching your your perspective and your your ability to to handle different situations. Yeah, you know, as you were describing, Alexis, the um, you know, it just dawned on me. You know, we've we've had similar journeys as well. But one of the things that you you mentioned around learning languages, and even with uh, with 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 the current generation, you know, younger generation, you know, there's lots of information, lots of change that's going on, and you know, now nowadays the the generation is is kind of built for absorbing this change, and you know, able to learn and learn at pace, learn rapidly, whether it's a new language or whether it's a new topic. Uh, and the ability to absorb and to disperse that that knowledge in practical ways is is huge compared to maybe what it was a long time ago before the web <laughs> or the access to the web <laughs> as as a, as a as a mechanism so you know things have shifted yeah yeah and i, I i'm amazed that uh, my uh, my youngest uh, daughter uh one told me, oh, I'm learning Spanish. And I was surprised because that was not in the curriculum at school. So mm. I said, no, how are you learning Spanish? And she showed me her phone, showed me an, an app, and told me, yeah, I'm learning there. You should do it too. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Trust, she challenged me to learn Spanish on that with that app. And I, I realized that, first of all, it's addictive because there's a, there's ranking that can yeah in points and get to the next level so there's yeah. a lot of gamification going on uh, yeah. but indeed i was able to understand what people in, was, were saying in spanish not yeah. really good at reproducing and probably my ears are not so good so i am not so good at speaking and it takes a lot of confidence to start speaking uh, yeah. but i was able to understand and i was wow that's cool that's funny yeah. I, I love it <laughs> so yeah things have shifted and uh if you want to learn something, you probably can, which is a, which is something that was probably a lot harder in a, in the past. And 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 we we have a lot of opportunities, tools, mechanisms at our disposal to uh, to do that and to to face. Now it's just a matter of you know your 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 will, your uh, your determination to actually make it happen yeah. and prioritize amongst all the different changes. Uh, but one one of the things that uh, that I'm keen to hear from from you, Alexis, is you you've you've had a lot of experience and exposure with you know small companies, medium sized companies, large corporates, and you know different cultures, different styles of organization. And with that comes different types of leadership as well. Yeah. Tell us your experience and your perspectives in that in that space. Yeah, and it, it, it's really interesting because I am. Um, you realize that a lot uh, rely on uh, what leaders are ready to accept, mm -hmm. and what kind of uh, leadership they are creating through their behavior. And um, in, uh, in, in the, the first large company I worked with, uh, my, um, my boss, not, not my direct boss, but the, the boss of the, the, the factory where yeah. I was working, uh, that's the, the person who hired me um, was really incredible. 
really incredible. He was providing a lot of autonomy to people. And, um, and you were, <laughs> you needed to learn really a lot. And um, of course, I, I was a beginner in that field. Uh, there was a lot of things that I did not understand. I was not really uh, confident that I should decide on a few things. So uh, basically, every day I was in the, the office of my boss to ask him about something, his opinion about something. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it was during the first week, he, he told me, OK, I, I love to have you asking me all those questions. Those are really interesting topics. I'm, I'm really glad you are asking yourself those kind of questions. But you know, um, if I hired you, it's probably because I wanted someone to answer those questions. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit your job. So now, if you want me to do your job, uh, I have a problem with that. So probably the next time you have a question, you figure out a way to answer it. I'm not saying answer it by yourself, but look around us. There's 500 people in that factory. You can probably find other people than me to try to answer that question. And don't believe I have all the answers. There's probably a lot of people around you that have those answers. Ask them. And um, oh, so that was a clear signal that I should probably not come back in his office with another question the next day. And uh, that was basically the permission to to do just that, to engage with people, to ask them what they were doing and uh, ask them about what I was doing and what, what, what was my current challenge and try to answer those questions. And along the way, I built some relationship. I had, I had some struggle with some people, of course, but that was learning and that was opening so many doors that just that permission. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a lot of fun. When we moved the production to another factory, the, the management style was radically different. Mm. It was full command and control. I remember my boss mm. knocking on, on his desk to tell me to do things because I didn't want to do it. I thought it was them. So I just said no. And he was knocking on his desk to tell me do it. I didn't do it anyway. But that's, that was the kind of, uh, of environment. People were. Yeah, there was really, really that fear, and that was wow. And basically, what we did was to build a, a, a kind of room isolated from the rest of the factory. We built our own culture, and that was weird because we had a mm. we are building a BS uh, that needed to be absolutely clean. So we had a, a special room that was in a, a slight surpressure. Mm -hmm. So to avoid the, the dust to come in, to come in, and we were wearing uh, hats and uh, and special shoes and so on. So there, there was sass uh, to enter and to leave. So physically, it was a special space, mm -hmm. but culturally, it was a special space mm -hmm. because basically we reproduced what we have learned from the other factory. That was not the culture of that that old factory. That was really a command and control. Uh, and that, that was a special thing to realize that the way you behave with people uh, will, will completely change their ability to contribute. Mm. And the people in our team were able to contribute whatever what they were doing. And, and you, are, you are building things, you are on the factory floor. So there's people that are doing the same kind of move from, for the whole day. Mm. Uh, if you let them be on, only on one, thing, on one, one position, 
yeah. which we did not. But uh, that's that was something interesting to see how they were able to contribute to help us improve everything from yeah. the product to how we build the product yeah. because we created that. Yeah. So that's uh, that's the moment where you realize that uh, culturally uh, and a leader can influence everything yeah. in, a, in a totally different way. Yeah, and um, you know you've you know you're you're a strong advocate of behaviors as you were just describing, and behaviors depending on the type of culture and organization has. I mean, obviously, you might have a command and control type of a culture, and that might be accepted in that in in, in that environment, and that's okay if that's accepted by all. Um, I don't personally subscribe to it, but um, there are other organizations where different styles and different behaviors are, um, you know, are, are advocated. So given given all of that you know from a behavioral perspective values um you know types of organizations within large or even small types of organizations where where do you see your focus now in what you're doing i i think the the main thing is trying to find the best way so people can do their best work um uh, you know when we we discuss consumer products uh, or, or even enterprise product, uh, we speak about the customer experience. Yeah. And I love that because yes, we look at the experience and the experience will, will do that. Uh, you will buy that product or not, or you will buy again a product from that company again or not. Mm. It's the experience will do it. The product will have a, a role to play in that experience, but the experience surrounding the product or the service uh, will play a big role. And what I'm saying is your company, the organization of your company is the product and the customer of that product are the employees. Yeah. So you want the employee experience to be the best possible one so that they can do their best work mm. to serve your customers, to work with your partners and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you think of the things this way, it's changed the way you envision the product. Uh, and you probably don't want them to waste time on useless things or to get the managers to be bottleneck for everything or things like that. So you, you changed your way of looking at the product. Mm. And to go back to, oh, to those old years, I, I remember that uh, how you manage, how do you manage the, the, the early day season? Then you know, the early day season in, in France or in other countries that have a little bit more holidays than two weeks, uh, mm -hmm. two weeks per year. Um, you try not to not having all people that have the same skills on holiday at the same time, because if they are, you will lose that capability. So it cannot be delegated to others. So it's a problem. And I remember uh, one manager in, in another area in the factory was telling me, oh, I'm struggling with the the, the holidays because all people are requesting the same days. It's awful. I'm, and he, he told me, are, are you struggling too? I said, no, 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 I'm not. And he said, I don't understand. You have probably five more, five times more people than I have. Mm. So that should be awful for you. How, how are you doing it? I said, yeah, that's simple. We have a big board 
that's the calendar. We have all the names, so it's really visible. Mm. And, and then people can position on the board when they would like to take uh, their PTO days. But there's a rule. Uh, for one skill, there's always someone with that skill that is available in the factory. Yeah. So if you have special skills that are shared with only a few people, you need to agree with them that they don't ask for the same thing, because if not, it doesn't work because you break the rules. So you need to agree with each other. If you're not able to agree with each other, then I will decide. But be careful, because if I decide, there's probably a chance that nobody will be on PTO in that period of time. Mm -hmm. So. Do you prefer nobody or do you prefer to agree with each other that there's at least one? Yeah. yeah. That's on you. Yeah. But the transparency of it was really useful. And you can adapt that for anything. Of course, PTO yeah. is probably trivial. I mean, people will manage that easily. But uh, remembering that maybe asking people and be building clear policies that we all agree upon yeah. and being transparent about the information is key. To that and and in order to make that successful or a for, for a company to be successful you know the things that you touched upon you know policies behaviors skills are, are these the types of conversations in your view that companies should be having at you know at executive level at board level or is there anything else yeah i i think that should happen at the team level mm -hmm. that's uh Having those conversations. Probably pri primary, right? Because yeah. that's right where the things are happening, right? Yeah, and and they should have the autonomy to make decisions that affect themselves. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's decisions that sometimes are made at another level for a large variety of reasons. Regulations is one of them. You cannot really change the regulation when you are in the company. You can maybe influence it, but it's probably a long-term thing. Uh, so there's decisions that will be forced onto you and you cannot change them. Uh, but there's a lot of things that you can influence at the team level and you should. And you should have those discussions. That's not only about execution, that's about how we work, the system that we build to, to deliver our work. That's also about the business, understanding the business we are in. Even if you are a small team in a large company, you yeah. probably want to know in which business we are yeah. And what are the drivers for the business? To really understand that what you are doing really contribute to the business and things that maybe you don't value so much are really important for the business. So you need to understand that. And then the people part. Yeah, people love when they develop themselves. If you are stuck somewhere or if you feel stuck, um, you'll be probably not stay or probably not be as engaged as if you were learning every day. Mm -hmm. And people can do a lot of things in a team to continue to grow. Uh, it's not only a manager-employee uh, conversation. It should be a peer-to-peer -peer conversation because we can observe our peers. We can observe behaviors that are either really uh, benefiting the company and themselves and maybe behaviors that are not so great and that if they could change that or stop doing that thing uh, they would dramatically increase their impact yeah. and usually those things can be much more observed peer-to-peer -peer than from a manager yeah uh, so 
you can work on all those things as a team. And when you work on those things as a, as a team, you are building already more yeah. interesting teams. Yeah. Is, it, is, it, is that one of the, the key challenges you're seeing within organizations, especially at peer-to-peer, -peer, that team level, things are not cohesive, it's not actually happening, which means it has got a direct impact not only on products and services, but products as humans as well, employees, and then to the customer as well. Is that is that one of the challenges that you're... Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a, yeah. I, I, I believe it's a big challenge because um, we we don't necessarily always think in that way. Mm. And, and sometimes we put incentives that are made to motivate people, motivate employees, that are hurting those peer-to-peer -peer relationships, mm. the, their ability to collaborate, to deliver the product or services, but also to help each other. Mm. So if you have incentives that are really uh, directed uh, to uh, individuals, mm. or for, for example, you have quota to, to, uh, to provide accelerated incentives or accelerated bonuses for 10% of your people or 20% or whatever the number, uh, of course, you, you can think that those things are secret and nobody knows. Uh, but of course, as soon as you give the quota to a manager in the organization, other people will know. And at some point, it will be known by everybody. What do you think will happen? If you have a team of 10 people and they know that only one or two of them will have that special bonus, mm -hmm. how, how do you believe they will collaborate? They will try to get that special bonuses. You, you put an incentive in place for a reason. So you will get the, the outcome. Yeah. So they will not necessarily collaborate the same way. They will more compete. Yeah. If you want that competition, great. You found the right incentive. If you want collaboration and people to support each other and so on and to help each other grow, you probably found the wrong incentive. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, Alexis, share with us, uh, you know, you've uh, described a number of great interventions here. Are there any, um, you know, formulas to, to success personally as a, as a leader or, or even to an organization that you want to just bring out here? The, the, the thing I really love doing, and that's for me or for a team at whatever level, that could be a team really a team of individual contributors or, um, or even a leadership team, it's really to think in terms of impact. Or what is the, the main objective we have? We can have several, but uh, if you have one, it's better, but that's another problem. Uh, what, is our, what is our objective? So why are we doing things? And that why is really important. Mm. And, uh, and it's not only the youngest people, the, the, the youngest generation, uh, that are asking why and so a lot of people need to know why they are doing things so you want that why you want to be clear on what you are trying to achieve so you have the why but i'm what i love doing is working in terms of impact and drawing an impact map and looking at who are the stakeholders that will help me achieve my why mm. or not help me help me prevent me to achieve my why True. and what kind of behavior the need to adopt for me to achieve my work. Mm. And looking at things this way, help really to prioritize the, the work that you are doing. Because then you have that why, 
you have that who, who are the, uh, the stakeholders, you have the behavioral change that you want to, to affect, and then you decide what to do to get that behavioral change. And you can focus on something. You say, okay, oh, maybe this quarter we should focus on that behavioral change or those stakeholders. That's all what we will do. And then you work with the team to, 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 be, to brainstorm, to think about what are the things we can do to influence that behavioral change. And it's really powerful because if, even if you are doing that as an individual, there's 1,000 things you would do. So mm -hmm. I can list all of them and try to prioritize. I will fail every time because it's really hard. Mm -hmm. I end up with a 100 priority one and what does it mean? Yeah. Priority should be something we use in the singular form, not in the plural form. So I need something to help me prioritize. The prioritization is what behavioral change from what stakeholders? From, yeah. And that's really helping me. So I would say the, the secret source is do your impact map mm -hmm. as an individual or as a team. Uh, it works the same way. As a company, you can do it. You can do it at all levels. It's the same formula. Yeah. When you have a clear impact map, when you know what kind of behavioral change you want to affect, Basically, you just discovered your key result and you know your objectives. So you can put in place OKRs that make sense. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, I'm, a, I'm a strong advocate of the impact map and how you described it makes a lot of sense. And I'm thinking, you know, when you develop that impact map individually, you know, you become aware and you become empowered not only for yourself, but also how you would be influencing others and the behaviors that you would need to either receive or send, <laughs> you know, to prioritize, for example, or to, to do the work that you need to, you know, to, to effect on other people. So, you, you know, it's not, you're, you're not doing that just for the sake of doing a piece of work for other people, but uh, you're actually doing it for your own goodness as well. Yeah, and in, in, in the fun part is when you try to do an impact map, usually uh, you realize that you probably don't know who the stakeholders are. Sure. So you need to get out of your office and find out <laughs> and talk to people to find out who the stakeholders are really. Yeah. And you probably don't even know what kind of behavioral change they need to adopt. So you need to, that's an inquiry process and, and that's a recurring process. Along the way, you will meet other people. And if you show them your impact map, they will tell you, oh, no, no, you're wrong. That's not the way it works. That, that works yeah. in another way. And in fact, yeah. uh, those partners are, are really more important and. Uh, and you will have an interesting conversation and you yeah. will find out people that will tell you, oh, you know what? I know how to help you with that. Yeah, yeah. And suddenly you are building new opportunities for collaboration. Yeah. So yes, you are doing that for you or for your team uh, or with your team. Uh, but in reality, you are creating opportunities and connection with others. Yeah, yeah. No, wonderful. Um, Alexis, you're a leader in your own right. So what does a day in the life of... Uh... Alexis look like these days? <laughs> uh, it, it really depends because I am, a, I am in, a, in, a, in a kind of weird world. Mm -hmm. uh, so 
nowadays, basically the, the things that have a clear owner in my organization, I, I basically don't care about those things because they have a clear owner. People will do their job. Usually they don't need someone else to tell them to do their job. Mm -hmm. uh, the challenges are coming when uh, there's no really clear ownership on, on something. And you think something should happen, but there's no clear ownership. So in that case, uh, you need to identify either you need to do it yourself, that's a problem, because when you are doing that, then what else will come? Or you need to identify the people or the group of people that are able to have an impact on that thing that needs to be done. And that's basically my work. So it's, uh, it's really fluid because it's, uh, it's working with someone who is really busy, uh, of course, and finding ways to increase his impact by making sure he's working on the most important things and our staff is working on the most important thing and finding a way that for the things that are coming that don't have clear ownership, mm -hmm. that they happen. So basically finding ways to make it happen by finding the right people to work on it. And sometimes it's also deciding that, hmm, no, we will not do that. That sounds really amazing, but mm, no. If you look at the impact map, it doesn't serve us. Yeah. We will not do that. Yeah. Saying yeah. no is part of it. So it's a, an important, yeah. interesting part of it. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Alexis, we're coming to a close uh, very shortly. Is there any closing messages or a challenge to other teams and leaders that you want to state here? Yeah, I, I would say uh, probably uh, it would be great, whatever your, your, your position in your, in your development journey, your position in your career, it would be great if you were able to find a mentor. That would be fantastic. And uh, it would be fantastic if you were a mentor to someone else, to mm -hmm. one or more person. Um, because those relationships are really important to grow. And that's also important for you to, to share a little bit what you've learned along the way. Mm -hmm. And the mentor-mentee relationship are always interesting because it's really social learning. Um, the one who learns the most is not necessarily the mentee. Uh, yeah. So it's always interesting relationship. Sure. So uh, if, if I had something, yeah, find a mentor and be a mentor for others. Wise words from Alexis. Thank you very much for, uh, thank you very much, Alexis, for being with us uh, today and for sharing your journey and your insights. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. Wonderful. Okay, folks, thank you very much for listening in and stay tuned for our next episode on a chartered tax expert who shares her journey on building the next generation of tax professionals globally whilst sharing tax secrets for businesses and individuals. We'll hear more about that from an expert. Stay tuned and continue to stay on to hear more about an interesting offer. Cheers. Hey, I hope you enjoy the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel. You're now seeing this part of the video also because you consume some of my content, insights and teachings. Maybe you've been to my LinkedIn page or website or seen other social media ads or listen to my podcast. I'm Stephen Paul, a business and transformational executive coach, strategic advisor, leader, and board member. 
I've been in diverse roles, corporate executive, entrepreneur, and worked with businesses and firms of all sizes, built and launched businesses, created high impact boards and so forth in four continents. I get it. I've been there, done that. But what is different is I bring a unique perspective and a playbook. I've helped 100 plus business leaders just like you to scale and align their leadership top teams, the board and overall business for growth. Leaders like Ivana from medium-sized company in the EU who grew 150% and expanded globally in under five months. After she started to work with me over facilitated sessions in an initial three days, I helped fine-tune their strategy and align their leadership team and board to be a cohesive driving force to achieve their dreams and outcomes. I want to teach you the same thing and more on how to scale and align your leadership team and board so you can increase your business growth and value. Get clarity on what is the next right strategy for you. There are multiple ways we can work with you. Number one, click the link for a free non-obligatory 60-minute initial strategic session. Let's get a feel for your dreams, your vision, your challenges, and let me convert that into a route map for you where we can co-develop and co-pilot. Number two, enroll in an innovative and intuitive digital online course that I have curated, created to help you transform. It's called Unshakable Resilience. It is the ultimate program for individuals and business leaders like you who want to be equipped at a personal and professional level to respond to any form of challenges or in crisis situations and take on opportunities with grit, resilience, and build a mindset of success. In essence, you want to be unshakable, thrive in crisis, take on opportunities in the face of adversity, and build a success mindset. So click the link below to learn more on how I can personally help you individually and your firm to scale and align your leadership team and business and pivot in a transformational way. And for you to experience this, whatever the challenge you're facing, get in touch with me. Let's discuss and I will share my insight rapidly to enable your transformation. Click the links below.